0: So that was Mrs. Lundegaard on the floor in there. And I guess that was your accomplice in the wood chipper. And those three people in Brainerd. And for what? For a little bit of money.
1: There's more to life than a little money, you know.
2: There's more to life than a little bit of money, you know. For example, there's paying us to do movie reviews. This is Candy's Patreon Request Spoiler! Oh jeez, I yeah. like that yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. everybody, welcome to a very spirited Minnesotan edition of Spoilers. We haven't recorded together in a while, lift the curtain. We haven't put out an episode in a while, but you'll. by the time you hear this, there'll be lots of episodes out, but it feels good to be back. Um, we'll introduce the guys here in a second, but I wanted to read our DM from Patron, uh, what level is she again? What's the one above Stauncher? Preserved? Preserved Patron Candy. Um, she says... I love your guys' show. Been a listener for a long time. I think you should do Fargo for the 25th anniversary. Not many podcasts have covered it, and it's one of my favorite movies. My question, from west to East, to you, is if you were in as much debt as William H. Macy in Fargo, what crime would you commit to cover your ass? Ooh. Also, I usually go by Candy Smiley Face. Thank you so much, and can't wait to hear the episode. Well, Candy, thank you so much. So we'll go east to east. Candy's question, if you were in as much debt as William H. Macy, what would you do to cover your ass? Starting with Corey.
1: Yes, this is Corey Kylo Ren memes out of Simi Valley, California. Before I answer, Pappy, you're a Fargo expert. How much debt is William H. Macy in? Isn't it like thousand? Seven hundred and uh, fifty, I think seven fifty.
2: How does that? Ha- I, I'm really confused as to like he's taking out loans against dude. cars he didn't have. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, like don't know what
3: he's doing. That's what it sounds like he's doing. It's a but- scheme to uh, rob P- rob Peter to pay Paul, like constantly.
1: He is getting financing checks for cars that he didn't actually sell. Yep. I, I only put that together because I work in the automotive industry, <laughs> um, specifically with stuff like that. Um, but I'm I'm gonna answer the question, and I guess my answer is. I would rob a bank and Attica
2: Brett just watched <laughs> Dog
1: yes. Day I literally just yes. watched that today sorry more like Good Time I, I thought it would be funny to like rob a bank like with a with a human realistic rubber mask like Pattinson wears in Good Time um, plus also this is just me being real guys I've always wanted to rob a bank oh, me too <laughs> it seems like a, just <laughs> like a surefire and easy way to get some money be pretty fun you don't seem like you'd want to have a gun in your hand though No, I just go, I do what Pattinson did, right? I write a note, slip it in, it says, I have a gun, fill this bag with money. Now, if this happens in Simi Valley, it's not connected to me. I'm not actually going to rob a bank, but I don't know, it just seems very easy.
0: I've already alerted the authorities.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Fucking narc. Mikey, you're not a narc. What would you do if you're in $750,000 of debt?
4: Wow, $750,000. That's a lot of... uh stealing dvd players and crt tvs with my family (laughs) to make up (laughs) for all that debt that's the only way i know how to get back that money um i I only know stealing stuff i wouldn't know how to commit any sort of crime william h macy is pulling off here and i don't think he knows what he's doing either because (laughs) he fucks up the whole way i agree with you there (laughs) i i couldn't understand his plan or I'm glad Corey is here on this episode to kind of guide us through it because I couldn't understand what kind of scam he was playing, but I would just guess I would be the easiest thing would just be stealing merchandise from somewhere. A lot of merchandise, I guess.
2: This is Pappy recording from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Great question, Candy. If I were $750,000 in debt, I would probably, to be honest commit the crime of just never paying my debt back and living on the lamb uh (laughs) when i was i don't i ate over layover in hawaii one time and i sat like on this dock and i put my backpack on the edge of the dock i'm like i could just push this in the water and live here forever and no one would know what happened to me and i really really thought about doing that for a long time but i ended up going to stevie's wedding anyway but i know there's no way I could raise seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, so I would start my life of podcasting on the lam, um, not disclosing my recording location anymore when I upload these episodes. It's
1: like a real Godzilla versus Kong kind of podcast.
2: <laughs> have you not seen that? All right, never mind. I've seen King Kong versus Godzilla.
0: We all have, unfortunately.
2: Well, that was the voice of Brett you just heard. We're going a little bit out of order, east to east, But Brett, since you, since we heard you, it's an easy transition for me. What, what would you do to raise seven hundred fifty thousand dollars illegally?
0: Uh, this is Brad recording I'm, I'm reading on uh, movie mistakes.com it, it kind of makes it seem like they never really say how much debt he's in all we know for sure is that he owes at least 320,000 um, but let's keep it at 750 uh, I have no idea I definitely wouldn't rob a bank I, I was that lame guy like Stevie's wife that said that she wouldn't do it mm-hmm. like I just I don't think I'd do well in prison I think I'd be uh, a hot commodity what? so
1: um <laughs> Well, let's face it, you're a hot commodity outside of prison I too. love little side comments that Brett does. What do you mean by that, Brett? Not gonna, not going to elaborate on that. Um,
0: uh, I'd probably have to do some sort of white-collar crime. I'm, I don't know. Uh, Fraud? I, I'd do the scam that they did in uh, office space. But
1: you'd still go to a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison. Conjugal visits?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, um... Oh my god, I don't know A uh, fake kidnapping's always good <laughs> No, because then you get the FBI involved You have to do something that Is not a federal crime, but that's where the low money is So, I don't know uh, A white collar, I would probably Get with a hacker And mm. steal That'd probably be the lowest risk Is get it with a hacker And have him steal money from somebody And then we split it And then I rob him And then...
2: Toss him in a wood chipper.
0: Yeah. Or I would just steal the rights to Big Dumb Movie, and, you know, I'd make that so fast.
2: Cashing off that sweet, sweet AdSense money that they're making over there. Which doesn't um, work, by the way. (laughs) Oh, bummer. (laughs) Last but not least, you heard him talking about uh, his wife. Stevie, I know you wouldn't have your wife kidnapped, but what would you do if you were in as much debt as William H. (sighs) Macy?
3: Man, I really don't want
2: to say... it. It would never happen... But
3: this has been, like, a dream of mine since I was eight years old. And if it does happen, I didn't do it. Um mm, was that me. So Elkhart County 4-H Fair is home to, like, I imagine one of the largest county fairs in the country.
2: The second largest behind... Uh, Iowa, uh, right? I think there's one in Texas that's bigger.
3: Okay, yeah, we are... It's a
2: big deal, guys. It's a
3: big county fair. Since I was about eight or nine, it has been one of my psychotic, like, dreams to rob the cash at the end of the day or night (laughs) from all the vendors Jesus and just take off that would be so much money it's not even funny um but I would never do that because that's people's hard-earned money on the line it's just kind of one of those thoughts that I would do if I was in a extreme amount of debt which I would never be and if this does happen I had nothing to do with it I swear
2: Stevie's like robbing the Kiwanis club (laughs) a couple
0: thousand dollars I don't I don't want to get too morbid, Stevie, but if your wife was sitting there looking for 12 seconds at someone who's trying to rob her, would she still sit there? <laughs> or would she start kind of moving a little bit?
3: <laughs> God, it's so frustrating. Depends if there's a high quality Minnesota morning TV. It just depends. Yeah, I mean, how good is the daytime TV in Minnesota? In
1: 1987,
3: probably not very good. Robin
0: what you got there.
2: An empty chicken laying empty eggs, huh? <laughs> Well, how do you get the egg? There was an egg in here, right? Yeah. Okay, well, I don't... How do you... I mean, you you don't have an
3: empty chicken somewhere that lays (laughs) empty eggs?
1: No, no, I guarantee this was an honest-to-goodness...
2: So, let's go ahead and get into Fargo. We've been dancing around it a little bit. I, I don't know if I ever would have picked Fargo. It's one of my favorite movies and one of those seminal movies of, like, getting into... Movies for me and particularly getting into the Coen brothers for me. Um, so it's going to be it's a little tricky to talk about a movie that I like so much. And I lived in Minnesota for a while as well, which is why I can do such a banger of a Minnesota accent if I do say so myself. But Stevie, we'll have Spoiler Man come back and read the opening credits here.
5: This is a true story. The events depicted in this film took place in Minnesota in 1987. At the request of the survivors, the names have been changed. Out of respect for the dead, the rest has been told exactly as it occurred.
2: No. This is total bullshit. Yeah, right? How do you feel about just lying to your audience like this?
3: (laughs) It really
2: devalues the movie in my mind because even as a work of
3: fiction... No! Even as a work of fiction, this movie is great. I don't understand the need to say this is true. I, I've never understood it. I think there's a lot of great excuses for it. And I mean, could you say, yeah, there was a guy from GMAC like defrauding people, that's a true story, sure. And was there an accountant that tried to had his have his wife killed sometime in the eighties? I think that's what happened, but I mean just to say everything like everything that happened is true is just I think it's really cruddy i don't understand the need for it
2: i couldn't disagree more i love it
3: disagree with me pap
1: disagree
2: so i guess does anybody else like it or does anybody else have strong feelings about it before before i jump in
1: i'll say this pappy this was my first time ever watching fargo for this podcast (gasps) same and i knew you guys were going to be fargo experts so i didn't look into it and uh, that was going to be the first thing I asked: Did this really happen or didn't it? And I guess that. I'm definitely it.
0: not a Fargo expert. Just like just the only second time I've ever seen it.
2: Ah. So, so I mean, this is like a legendary misdirect by the coen. Misdirect. What is that? You know that that meme where it's like the tiny brain, and then like a bigger brain, and like a bigger brain and like, brain and like the galaxy brain. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, it's like spoilers. The tiniest brain is like, uh based on a true story equals good, you know what I mean? Then the slightly bigger brain is like, you don't need to learn history from movies. And Brett and I have talked about this extensively. I'm not going to hold... A movie accountable That's for a little different path for for say, but for saying like presenting William Wallace and like basically as a fact, are you gonna discredit Braveheart for for that like without a, any kind of caveat there? I mean that might be a bad example because they do have that little <laughs> yeah. thing at the beginning. But what I will say, the biggest galaxy brain though, is that using true stories is a total crutch for like telling a fictional story anyway. Since almost everything in a movie isn't true and honestly it's like if you believe that it's a true story just because they say it's a true story that's on you my friend I, I don't think it's cruddy at all i think it's hilarious i think it's interesting and i, I don't know it's just like how many people saw us in the 90s and just took it at face value in a pre-internet time right they kind of just trolled everybody i love it i don't i don't mind it
1: i i think it works really well for another movie that i'm more familiar with which is the blair witch project and mm, uh, that's true. Mm-hmm. I've never been mad at that movie for saying it no, was true. No, brilliant.
0: That's brilliant. But again, I think it's a little, I still think it's a little different. Why? That was humongous in the marketing. I don't think Fargo is necessarily marketed as so wait, this, it's
2: it better. Just, it's, oh, it's it's okay if you lie to get people in the theater, but it's not okay if you lie once they're in the theater. They lied to it's get for awards. The enjo- it's
0: for the enjoyment, though. You don't need. You needed. You needed to think that was real but that's for what I'm extra saying. enjoyment. You not you don't enjoy, need that. Fargo.
2: You shouldn't enjoy a movie anymore because it's a true story. Why does that make it better? Why is it inherently well, why, why better do, because it's do a true it, story? Though? Why do why it? Then? Why do it? Because it's hilarious. Because to me,
3: it just sounds <laughs> better if someone came up with this on their own.
2: Yeah, but like you're not gonna. I don't
3: have a problem with it. Pat,
4: back then. When you're watching the movie, it's like you can't Google that while you're in the movie theater. It's like you would have to look that up somehow after the movie is done. Gone to and the like, library th- and
2: looked up newspaper clips. <laughs> yeah, what
4: is the point at that point?
2: I just think it adds to the legend of Fargo. <laughs> I think it probably sparked conversation. Like like how many people literally just went out driving in the Minnesota countryside looking for a briefcase full of a million dollars along fences? I definitely, they
1: it. still do that probably. Well, yeah, there's a movie about that. From a couple years ago. Oh, really? They well,
3: did that yeah. in the show. It was the first season. Someone found the briefcase. But there's a movie about looking for the money?
1: Yeah. My friend from Big Dumb Movie, Steve, was telling me about it. I, f- I forget the name, but there's a movie where someone watched Fargo, thought it was real. Oh, no. And went to go find the
2: money. See, that's hilarious. I just looked it up. Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. Future spoilers pick, Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. But <laughs> right out of the gate, we get some exposition. We re- We meet... Maybe not our three main characters, but three pretty central players. Jerry, Carl, and Peter Stormare, who plays Gare, I think his name is. We don't Gare. hear his name. Gear A lot. Stevie, you want to talk about one of those? Describe them to, to our audience. Dealer's choice. I'll take Jerry Lundergard,
3: um or Lundegaard. He is the epitome of a loser in life. He's a snake. Yeah, you just see it from the offset. And the fact that he ended up being in sales made me laugh so hard when I first saw this. Because I always call it death of a salesman when someone overpromises and underdelivers, delivers And I feel like Jerry has been that way his entire life through everything. Yeah. It's so always, oh, yeah, I'm going to get you that tomorrow. Oh, yeah, this is going to be great stuff. It'll work out just fine. And he is the epitome of under-delivering. He's just, I mean, in my opinion, he's just a loser. And he comes up with this great scheme. With uh, and it, the one thing I do like about this scene a lot is the fact that Peter Stormare and Steve, um, how do you say his last name, Brett? Buscemi. No, it's Buscemi. Buscemi. Uh, Buscemi. Buscemi. There we go. Um, I like how they see through Jerry immediately and cut him off constantly, pretty much saying, You're not going to tell us how this goes, like, you're stepping into our world now. And one thing I find really funny about this movie is Jerry doesn't fit into any world. And that's kind of the chaos he creates. He doesn't fit in his, you know, he pretty much is destructive in his own world. And he tries stepping into the world of crime and it goes even worse.
5: See, I give you a brand new
1: vehicle in advance and then... I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and debate. I will say this though, what Shep told us didn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh no, it's real sound. It's all worked out. You want your own wife kidnapped. Yeah. He's bad at everything, it seems like. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. William H. Macy is amazing at playing a pathetic piece of shit. Jurassic Park 3.
2: (laughs) Also, uh, Magnolia. Shameless. Mikey, how do you feel about uh, Steve Buschimi? We talked about him a second ago in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, Steve uh, is playing a guy named
4: Carl Showalter. He's kind of like... Uh, doing all of the talking for for the pair of uh, him and Peter Stormare and he's talking to William H. Macy's character and like CB said he's being like really short with him and uh, kind of straight to the point uh, because he knows that I don't know like Carl knows that he's killed people before or done shitty stuff before so he's not very intimidated by uh, Jerry at all
2: he's a greaseball or your fucking wife Jerry <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. And then we have Peter Stormier playing Gear. Uh, he's kind of the strong, silent type, smokes a lot of cigarettes and, and uh, imposing force. But my first Stevie question of the episode is how did Carl and Gear link up? How did they become friends? Because it seems like a very unlikely friendship throughout the course of the movie. It, it feels almost like seems like they were hired by different people and say, yeah. like, get along. Yeah. Their first like interaction, it feels like because they're like kind of ironing out things like smoking cigarettes in the car, or talking or not talking.
3: Yeah, it's strange. It almost feels like their first job, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but you can tell throughout the entire movie that Carl never feels on even footing with Guerre in the slightest.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And Guerre just seems like a stone cold sociopath. And Carl just seems like, hey, man, we're in the same line of work. Let's just be friends. <laughs> Pancake house. I'd say they're probably both sociopaths, just in a different way. I, I, well, here's my thing I think Carl has lines where they're non existent to gear. Yeah, I guess I'll give you that.
2: What do you mean by li- like lines in the script? Is that what you're saying?
3: No, there's things that, that he wouldn't cross, that he wouldn't oh. cross, especially I don't know what the backstory is, but there's, I think Carl was much more affected. By the policeman getting shot more so than just, oh, we might get caught now.
0: Yeah, but doesn't that kind of go out the window when he shoots an innocent uh, garage attendant?
3: Now, he was in pain. I'll give him that. I think there's something in his backstory that would say, law enforcement or kids is my line.
1: Yeah, and I think Carl had to get there to the point where he shot, like, the dad or the uh, mm-hmm. the the parking lot attendant. <laughs> Like, things had to, like, unfold a certain way for him to be, like, mentally able to do that. He had to be, like, angry enough and seen enough blood already, you know? hmm He seems like a lower-level, like, criminal guy. Like, he seems like, you know, maybe he's, like, committed some, like, commercial burglary. <laughs> I, but I have a feeling, like, this is the first time he's ever killed anybody. Can you crack a fucking window open, man? You know, it's proven that secondhand smoke is the uh, carcin- uh, you know, a cancer agent. Hey, look at that, Twin Cities. It's the IDS building, the big glass one. tallest skyscraper in the Midwest, after the uh, Sears and uh, Chicago, or John Hancock building, whatever. You never been to Minneapolis? Nope. Would it kill you to say something? I did. No. It's the first thing you've said in the last four hours. That's, uh... That's a fountain of conversation, man. That's a geyser. I mean, whoa, Teddy, stand back, man.
2: Are you guys familiar with the concept of the dark triad at all?
1: Do explain. What is that, some Zelda shit?
2: Uh, close. It's it's like a Triforce, but like a dark Triforce. Um, It's three <laughs> personality traits that are, um, I, I don't know what the right word for them is, like measured as like negative personality traits or like... Malevolent malevolent personality traits that's a good word for it for for They're machiavellianism which is manipulative self-interested uh domineering so jerry to some extent psychopathy uh emotionally cold remorseless which is gear and narcissism grandiosity perceived superiority entitlement so when you kind of look at these three characters they're almost like three different embodiments of these dark triad personalities but all sort of evil in their own different ways. Um, and we see that in Jerry, especially when he was trying to sell the true coat to that poor uh, oh couple on. Brett. Would you buy the true coat from Jerry? Would you have just taken that car as is?
0: Uh, I'm really bad at saying no, so yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, I, I probably would have let him sell that to me. Uh, I know it's not exactly what you asked, but um, guys, I that hate
1: seems that. so he's infuriating. So okay. Yeah. yeah. I work in the car industry. I mentioned that earlier. Fuck car salesmen, dude. I fucking hate them. I seriously fucking hate them. Used car salesmen are the worst pieces well, of shit. People have said before, they
0: like used car salesmen is a really good spot for a lot of sociopaths to work. I would, would not be surprised if mm. a lot of them do work there. It's like custom made for their personality type and they can do it for a long time. They had schmooze people, put on fake charm. I mean, it's right up their alley.
1: And Jerry fits the bill perfectly. I mean, the kidnapping and the crime aside, just like the way he sells a car is so fucked up. Like, <laughs> that true coat shit, it's like, man, he doesn't let it go.
4: We sat right here in this room and went over this and over this. Yeah, but that true coat. I sat right here and said I didn't want any true coat.
3: That's what I mean about like salesman, you know, overpromising and under delivering. And, the thing that's so telling about that scene is when that guy's yelling at Jerry calling him a liar and Jerry like shrinks into like his little hole like yeah you got me i have nothing else to say
2: mhm he's just getting berated by this guy you're a fucking liar you're wasting me and my li- wife's Language. time and he just looks down and like still wins the situation you know what i mean in the sense that the guy is like get out my checkbook and like He's willing to be a liar. He's willing to sit there and, like, the throngs of abuse, put himself in that kind of situation because he just wants the outcome. That's all he really cares about. He doesn't really care about the emotional manipulation or, like, even to some extent, what people think about him. It's just, it's this weird Minnesota nice glean on it. And I don't know if you guys have heard that term before, but it's like this whole tongue in cheek politeness that that he has about him. Um, But maybe this is (laughs) exacerbated by his relationship with his stepfather, uh, or not his stepfather, his father-in-law. Excuse me. Mikey, what about Wade Gusters- Gusterson? Gusterson. Gust- Gusterson.
4: He's just a really stern old guy. Uh, what's his job? He's like a land developer or something. He's Real estate, yeah. Yeah, real estate. And he's just rich and he's married to his daughter and his his... Gene, his wife is kind of like, I don't know, kind of like an airhead. But Wade is like, uh, the the boy and and my daughter will never have to, will never have to worry <laughs>
1: or something. Yeah, <laughs> man, it's such a douchey thing to say. That's That's such a great You yeah. worded that. Such but, a yeah, great whenever
4: line. Uh, Jerry was what asking for a loan or something or about the deal, like if you wanted another like, on Jesus, the deal,
2: Jesus could set us up real good there, uh, Wade, for for Gene and Scotty and I. Gene and Scotty never have to worry. <laughs> it's just like, oh. What about I? Yeah, he's
4: he's that guy. He's that father-in-law. So he's everything you want
3: in a father-in-law. <laughs> the way I look at that, too, maybe I'm just looking into it too much, but I love the disrespect that Wade shows um, Jerry. Just for the simple fact that I imagine as much business as Wade has done, Wade has dealt with a thousand Jerrys and despises them all. And probably hates it that Gene married one. Uh, Oh, yeah. But it just, I love it when he, you know, Jerry walks into his house, his own house, after a hard day of trying to plot to get his wife kidnapped and murdered. And Wade won't even look at him. Like, he's barely answering his questions. It almost makes me think that Jerry didn't even put, like, his name down on the house, that Wade actually owns that house. And that's why he just feels he can show him so much, like, disrespect.
4: Watching the gophers mm. into his chair. <laughs>
3: you know, I imagine Wade did not want Jeannie to marry Jerry at all. And then she begged and begged and begged. And he's like, well, I might as well just get you a good house. Let me buy it. How much money did he offer his daughter not to marry him?
4: <laughs> reverse dowry. He <laughs> <You> reverse. <laughs> and please stay away from my daughter.
0: <laughs> I bet he didn't offer Jerry any money because Jerry's the type of person that would have taken it.
2: Yeah. Do we do we know why? And like I've seen this movie so many times from such a young age that I never, when I was little, I didn't understand the whole scheme that Jerry was doing. I just knew it to be some sort of financial thing, but it's never like made apparent as to why he has so much debt, right? Like, is he fudging his numbers and his sales? Is he like does he have like a gambling problem? A, a Did drinking he say problem? That earlier,
0: uh,
1: Corey. Well. There's like this, I don't know if it's like a side plot or just like something that comes up throughout the movie where he's getting called by um, a bank or a finance company of some kind that's saying like, you know, we we paid you this money for these cars that you sold, but we can't read the VINs, right? So, I I mean, I was just speaking to that. Basically, he pretended to sell cars so that he could get the financing from a bank.
2: Mm -hmm. Isn't it like 300000 too because he's like how much money is that he's like, we'll have to recall the money how much money was that again it's like you would never say that a normal conversation <laughs> how much again <laughs> how much you need again like it's 20 bucks
3: i have a couple of theories um so i said jerry's a loser in life but it's pretty evident in his office that he excels at one thing and it's golf he loves golf. He has a little notebook. I love golf. Ooh, you think he's got a little Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan gambling Yeah, problem? he has Ooh. like 25 trophies in his office of golf, all golf. Where and is he golfing?
4: I didn't even notice that. Minnesota
0: has some real- Yeah, I know. It's. I know. I, I'm just joking. They, People I mean, think that's some... cold all the time. It's a lot like India. For
2: two months a year, it's one of the best <laughs> places to golf in the continental United States. It
3: really is. And so I think it's a couple things. I think one, Jeannie was born- to a very wealthy man who gave her everything. I imagine Jeannie's a firstborn. Um in the other, you know, Jerry's probably trying to stay up with the lifestyle that she, you know, he thinks that she probably needs or Wade would approve of. And mm. also, he is making some bad gambling debts on that course. I know for a fact that man is. It's probably the only place in the world he feels comfortable.
2: Also, Scotty's not been going out for hockey the past few years and that's pretty expensive too hockey not a cheap sport to play
0: no we wanted to play after mighty ducks came out in the early 90s Hell yeah. we asked our parents if we could play hockey and they were like absolutely not it's way too expensive of a sport <laughs> so we just got the whole cory tell me you got the rollerblades in the in the the nets
1: dude i used to dominate the all the kids in, in yeah. my fucking neighborhood we used to Car- play street hockey we set up cones. We didn't have no, Car, nets. yep. But man, <laughs> I was just pummeling these kids. I was like a year older than everyone. So Ooh, you had cones, for you poor? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: <I> was.
4: <laughs> what else would you
0: use? We had the we had the nets, bro.
1: <laughs> well, I had the rollerblades on the stick. What do you want from me, man? That's true, that's true. I
0: guess those are more important. To afford that net, Brett, did uh I'm getting shamed by Brittany right now, sorry. <laughs> I apologize, Corey. <laughs> People used to ask me in college about Kool-Aid.
1: I said I didn't have Kool-Aid growing up. I wasn't poor. We drank pop. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> so You can make it up to me by hooking me up with some of that dog money you're
2: doing. So, <laughs> okay, we're we're way we're way deep into tangent territory now, but like my first real interactions with Brett were at a trivia night at a bar called Constant Spring oh, yeah. in Goshen. Dominated. And like one of the first things I learned about you. Is you claim to have drank the most cokes in that's the '90s, that's not true. <laughs> that's you not claimed true. that you, your cousin. No,
0: Adam says that. I said, and this is trust me, this is just as ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I said I think I might have drank more pop than anybody in the '90s.
2: <laughs> that's incredible.
0: I would have never said it's coke. Such a coke great was my claim. favorite, but I would have never said coke. It's a weird. <laughs> Brad, like, what, what are we what talking the,
3: here? What
2: was the cola of choice? Coke. But Coke wasn't the pop of choice, or soda. But Coke wasn't the no, wasn't I the mean, runaway winner. I didn't,
3: yeah, but
0: I didn't drink more Coke. I just drank pop. I mean, we drank whatever. I did. I was a Remember kid. Remember
3: Surge I in the nineties? Oh yeah, I wasn't mm. around for very long. Mm. Uh, I drank a lot
0: of uh, Coke, Mountain Dew, uh, Dr. Pepper, Pepsi, stuff like that. So, but Coke was my favorite. Always been my favorite.
2: One thing that's striking to me is that the ni- the license plates in the '90s are basically the exact same <gasps> as the license plates uh, in Minnesota when I lived there, um, which 80s. is wh- why oh this takes place in the '80s. '87. Yeah. Ah shit! I don't know why I was thinking this was the '90s for some reason. I guess it came it came out in the '90s. I've always just thought of it as a '90s movie, but yeah. Either way, I guess the license plates haven't changed in even longer, but they're driving towards the Twin Cities. Uh, them being uh, Peter Stormare and Steve Buscemi. I don't think we've really talked about the specifics of the plot, Kylo. Do you want to just take us through what they're what they're gonna do here, and like what the what Jerry's plan is?
1: Yeah. So here it is, as I understand it, as a first time watcher. So Jerry wants to get some outside guys, some criminals, to kidnap his wife, hold her for ransom, and then he's gonna get. His rich father in law to pay the ransom. Uh, Afterwards, he's going to pay off the guys that did the kidnapping for him and he's going to keep some of the money for himself. Uh, There is a little bit of uh, discrepancies with the numbers as you kind of like learn as the movie goes on. I think he says he's going to ransom her for $80,000, but then he tells his father in law (laughs) it's It's a a million. million. Yeah. So he definitely plans to make out in this deal. So if you want
0: to sum up Jerry
1: perfectly, how bad
0: of a, how greedy and terrible he is, is when he's going to get a million dollars and Steve Buscemi calls and wants to go from forty to eighty thousand dollars, and he's like livid. (laughs) Like he's gonna he's gonna make out nine hundred twenty thousand dollars, but he's ticked off about that forty thousand. He's such a piece of shit. That sums him up. Yeah, he's. I'll get to that during my yes or no.
2: I like the part where they're in the uh, the diner and he's like, we're not horse trading here, Wade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's your goddamn daughter, dude. Just pay whatever it takes if you got it. <laughs> so like th- there's a, a mini side plot. And, and I think one of the, the great things about Fargo, one of the, the things that this, if you look at film in general, like what this does outstandingly compared to almost any other film is how strong the characterization is in the first 20 minutes without being too overt. We learn so much about these four or five, uh, main characters behind the nefarious actions in the story, all within the first 30 minutes, all before we meet our protagonist in this 90 minute movie. Um, and one of those side plots is that Jerry is pursuing a, a parking lot, which I don't was he gonna screw his dad out of the money? Was that like another scheme? Or I don't, don't think ever? that was a scheme. But he thought that he could use the principal to buy the lot and eventually <laughs> get out psycho. of debt. Yeah. Do you want to talk about? Like, so he's just basically asking his father in law for a loan to finance a, a business. Right? Right? we are not a bank.
3: We're not a bank, Jerry. <laughs> I mean, it's just the hubris, like the the stupidity of Jerry Lundegaard is just insane to me. Like the fact that he thought. That someone with far more capital and credit than him would Uh, just loan him money so just just because. And they wouldn't make any money out of it outside of 1% above prime.
4: Hey, his problem is he's such a bad businessman. He doesn't realize (laughs) that he's a stupid criminal.
3: He's He's so stupid.
5: We're not a bank jury.
2: To be fair, though, I mean, his numbers were pretty sweet. You know, pretty sweet deal. <laughs> I mean, his, uh, honestly, his,
4: uh, his father-in-law uh, even does him like a kindness of like, here's a finder's fee, get oh, the hell out of $75,000, <laughs> <laughs>
1: right?
4: Yeah. That would have, I mean, what he wanted a million. I still don't understand what he wanted all of that money for. I don't really understand his scheme.
0: Because he wanted to pay off his debt and have money because he's greedy.
3: That's my guess. I also, I, I think his debt reached far beyond the 320.
2: I mean, but it's also probably he just wanted to be a success to some extent too, right? If he's mm-hmm. lived in the shadow and, and felt like a loser his whole life, he probably only was able to socially climb, you know, through the sport of golf or something, right? Probably just rub the right shoulders, met the right people type thing, impress his wife that way. And now he's just stuck working Not even for his father in law. There's like a guy in between him and his father in law who just eats burgers and watches the Gophers. Um, But I I say all this because we learn a lot about Jerry, seeing him and his ineptitude and his um, uh, inability to to execute. And like when he goes out to his car. When I used to live in Minnesota, I used to like feel this exact feeling of like getting in your car getting out the ice scraper or starting to scrape the ice and it just doesn't come off. It's just the most frustrating <laughs> thing ever, especially yeah. after everything is went through. It's such a great, great moment of Jerry. But while this is happening, the kidnapping is also taking place. Uh, Mikey, this is your first time seeing it. Did you enjoy... Uh, this is really sort of the first action that we get in the movie. Yeah, uh, it
4: kind of opens up uh, kind of comedically with uh, Steve Buscemi looking like... I guess there's like a glare on the window that he's trying to peer into and he can't see uh, Jean knitting on the on the sofa. And he's like right there, uh, right next to her. And he breaks up in the window and scares her. And she takes off running and runs into Peter Stormare, who's really scary. And she ends up biting him on the hand and running upstairs. It's, uh,
1: I don't, it's pretty funny. It's also kind of scary. Uh, it's a good scene. It's intense, right? I mean, this woman is, like, th- one of the few innocents in this whole movie. I thought she died when she fell.
4: <laughs> and I thought that was going to really kind of take the take the plot in a totally different
2: direction. So I was glad that she wasn't dead, but it doesn't really matter in the end. I think that's one of the great things about this movie, though, Kylo, is that she's... An innocent, but she is collateral damage of these schemes, right? She doesn't make it home. Okay, lives are lost. Innocent people die in all of this. All because Jerry is a piece of
1: shit, <laughs> which is something you'll hear me say a lot. But man, the, when I was watching the kidnapping scene, I was like on the edge of my seat. It's just really well executed. Like these two personality types are so different. The Uli guy is like, He's seemingly like pretty calm and collected. Like, this is just like another day at the office for him. To the point where, like, when he gets bit, he's like looking for like ointment in the uh, medicine cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it it's so weird
2: The oigmund or something? <laughs> oigmund. <laughs> no, he,
0: it's a different word he says. uh, Crap. I, it came up on the closed captioning. Ungwen. Um,
1: what?
0: I need ungwen. Um,
1: different word. Okay. But uh, Steve Buscemi is, like, frantic and all over the place and panicking. And that seems to be, like, the state in which he, like, lives his life in, for the most part. (laughs) When he's not mad at you for, like, not talking enough on a long drive, that is. I was getting serious, like, Mr. Pink vibes. Like, it's, like, almost the same guy, right?
2: From, um... Reservoir. Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. Which one's Mr. Pink? (laughs) Harvey (laughs) Keitel? The guy oh, who's
3: shooting on.
0: people
2: and screaming. Buscemi.
0: Yeah, he's Mr. Pink. Yeah, because he complains about being pink.
2: Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. What a run Steve Buscemi had in the 90s here. Airheads. <laughs> yeah. One of
3: his all time greats. I'll say this about that break in scene. I have honestly have the worst brain. So I work in like home construction and home supply. And looking at that house, I know for a fact Jerry Lundergaard didn't put a cent down on that house. Like, that house is so far out of what he makes and produces. Wade 100% paid for that house in full. Jerry is paying Wade back, probably with a PMI, like, as interest, like, above what the actual mortgage was or would be. He's giving
2: him one over prime. Yeah. So, (laughs) I... Yeah, Jerry didn't put...
3: That's a really nice house for that time. Um... It doesn't even look that like that outdated like 10 years later in like the late 90s. So I would say, yeah, Jerry didn't put a cent down on that house.
2: They go on to have a pretty eventful traffic stop. Stevie, what, what goes down here? And is this not the worst attempt at a bribe of all time? <laughs> <laughs> it's... <laughs> we'll take care of it in Brainerd. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I just thought we'd take care of it in Brainerd. In Brainerd. <laughs>
3: yeah, so they get pulled over... We get some real, real heavy accent from the from the statey. Then they're out in the middle of nowhere. And the one thing I like that the Coen Brothers did with this scene is Peter Stormare's character is very... Doesn't have a lot of emotion throughout the entire movie anyway. <laughs> I think but his he jaw is,
2: doesn't close throughout the entire scene. He is completely still, <laughs> this entire and still. scene.
3: And, Pat, I was going to ask you this question... As we've talked about, you know, there's kind of certain um, giveaways to when a character is going to kill another character in movies. Was there anything was there anything that happened where Peter Stormare? Like, do you think he decided to kill this cop before they even started talking?
2: There's a moment where the camera does like a one shot of Peter Stormare right after the cop says something like, what is this type mm-hmm. thing? And Steve Buscemi just like is so convinced that the line will take care of it. In Brainerd is going to somehow get him out of this. Maybe the best thing to do would be to take care of that right here in Brainerd.
1: What's this, sir? My license and registration. Yeah, I want to be in compliance. I was just thinking we could take care of it right here in Brainerd.
2: There's like one shot of Peter Storm here where he's like, God, he doesn't even sh- like visualize like, God damn it, like if someone told me to act like show frustration, but it's just like the slight hint of like, okay, annoyance. Like, okay, now I've mm-hmm. got to kill this cop type thing. It's very, it's very short, but I love the way that like when he grabs him and shoots him in the top of the head, the way the blood just volcanoes out of that cop's head. It's fucking crazy.
0: Uh, can I interject real quick? Yeah. Just to touch on something earlier. Uh, he was asking for an unguent
3: unguent. What is an unguent?
0: Is similar to an ointment. But it's less viscous, uh, and it's like it's not – it's oilier and pastier. So, you know, like an ointment, you know what that it's yeah. Everyone, But this is just more of a paste, and uh, it's just oilier. It stays on your skin longer or something, so.
3: Less viscosity.
0: Interesting. Um,
2: <laughs> but I, I don't know, Steve, anything else from this traffic stop scene that uh, jumps out to you?
3: Yeah. I love the fact they're in the middle of nowhere. It's night. There's snow all around. There's blood everywhere. Uh, Things I love to see in movies. Um, And I do like how this scene, it's somewhat drawn out, but I like how it just escalates and escalates. And when you think, you know, there's this let off of, oh, the cop is dead. It escalates even more with the passerbyers, which always makes me sad in this movie. Oh, definitely.
1: Seeing, Seeing Steve Buscemi like try to drag that corpse away. And then, like, the face of the driver as he goes by and is, like, seeing that unfold is fucking mm-hmm. hilarious. Like, there's some good subtle comedy in that whole scene. I mean, the murdering aside, you know? Like, <laughs> like that guy's <laughs> looking at him just like, what the fuck?
2: Yeah. It's a what? It's like this weird meme face almost yet to be <laughs> discovered.
0: I can't really tell. Is that a, a kid or a girl or a girl kid at the end uh, that he kills?
2: I always took it as his girlfriend, which is pretty cold blooded of him to try and run away through the snow while she's still sitting there in the overturned, overturned car. Pretty ruthless.
0: Hey, he was gonna break up with her, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect opportunity. Yeah,
1: you just did
0: me a favor, bro. It's not
1: gonna work out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> that shot though serves as a transition into meeting, um, you know, one of the more iconic police characters of the '90s, certainly. Uh, Marge Kylo, having not seen this movie, were you expecting Frances McDormand to be in more of it? It's a full, like I said, it's a it's a ninety minute movie. Thirty minutes pass before she is even shown on screen awake. Yeah, I was very surprised. I was watching it and
1: thinking, okay, she must be in the show because I haven't seen her yet. She's probably not going to be in this. I expected her to like show up at the very beginning, um, but obviously she shows up a little bit later and. You were saying she's like an iconic cop character. That's something I wasn't aware of. Is it because just like she's just like simple folk up there in Minnesota?
0: Well, she also won the Academy Award for Best yeah. Actress.
1: For this movie?
0: Yes. Yep. This is wow. her first
1: Oscar.
5: Hi, hello. Woo!
2: What you got there?
5: RG. Right, Thought you might need a little warm up.
2: Thanks a bunch. So what's the deal now? Gary says
5: triple homicide? Yeah, it looks pretty bad. Two of them are over here.
2: Where is everybody?
5: Well, it's cold, Margie.
2: As someone who lived in Minnesota, her accent is so hyperbolic, and sometimes it switches into, like, almost a New York-sounding accent. Like, I think about like when she's talking about it, asking if the Radisson is reasonable or not. Would
0: you happen to know a good place for lunch in the downtown area?
2: Don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a great performance, but... It's just so over the top in terms of the access, which I'm sure the Coens were doing intentionally having lived in Minnesota. They're trying to play it up, right? But, uh, Stevie, how do you feel about Marge as a character?
3: I love Margie uh, a ton and, um, you know, Norm, son of a Gunderson, which is a great nickname. Uh, But (laughs) I think uh, this is a really, really great baton handoff in a movie, You know, she only appears when necessary. You know, we don't get these, like Kyle said, early shots of her in her normal life. And then, you know, Jerry Lundergaard and Gare and Carl come into their come into her life. This is, you know, we meet her when we need to. I think that's what's great about this movie.
2: It's because if the if the intro was 10 or 15 minutes, we'd call it an intro, right? This would be setting the stage. This Mm -hmm. would be like an extended scene. This is a full third of the movie. You know what I mean? This is like a huge chunk of the movie she's not even in. Now now she comes to dominate the, the next part and like her relationship with Norm is arguably, you know, the heart of the movie. It's the last scene of the movie. It's what they leave us with. Um Mikey, how do you feel about her and Norm's relationship? The the guy from Zodiac potentially <laughs> future movie.
4: Uh I want what Norm has he's got the life <laughs> what like i don't know how but like all of the cops knew what he was like up to for the week like one cop was like hey, i thought you were uh, supposed to go fishing there today he's like yeah after lunch Like, why does everybody know what you're gonna be doing like for the next 48 hours like what who are you and he's just like cooking food he, he's a nice guy he makes breakfast for his wife or like forces her to eat breakfast and um i guess he's just like an artist i guess he makes enough as like an artist for painting or uh drawing stamps and he's kind of like in a competition or whatever with other like local artists or whatever to to get on the the biggest stamp they possibly can be and that's kind of like his whole career or whatever. He just kind of sits around and
2: does that mallard based artwork. It seems to be very duck based, very aquatic bird based. He
3: was a cop, right? That's
0: the, the story. Apparently the story, the backstory oh. that those two made up, which I love. I freaking love that's that. Gr-
3: I mean, that, that's also a kind of explain why might like why they know his business. Uh, but it's, if he was a cop, it's pretty apparent that Margie was the stronger of the two.
1: Yep, mm-hmm. he's been like forty years old for since he's exactly it's not it's
0: cra- it, it, he's only like fifty six so it's he's like thirty five thirty six <gasps> this movie it's insane
3: what <laughs> my age
0: really wow
3: was this during like the Drew was he on the Drew Carey show too uh, I just remember him from
0: Zodiac and from uh, sh- Chicago Seven
3: but you're you're right though Brett he's been
0: forty forever. Well, yes, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody's, Corey said that, I think.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, he looks exactly the same in The Invitation.
2: There's a great shot, um, The Prowler Needs a Jump scene, where it's just him sitting in the kitchen eating eggs, and the the camera stays still, and it shows Marge going out to her car, trying to start it, coming back in. Prowler Needs a Jump, and it's all just facilitated by the layout of the house. We haven't Mm -hmm. talked about the cinematography at all, but Deacon's... Fantastic work, as always. This movie looks amazing.
0: That's a great shot. I don't think I even noticed that. Like You're looking at her. You're looking at him finish the eggs because he's freaking tired and he's going to eat. And she's out looking down the stairs or whatever outside. That's mm-hmm. that's really awesome. I never even thought about and that. It
2: feels like a real Midwestern house, right? That little staircase at the beginning and like the, the kitchen opens up right there.
3: Also, car needs a jump because it was cold <laughs> last night is the single <laughs> oh, yeah. most Midwest thing in this movie.
2: <laughs> I love the part... This is, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but there there's a cop investigating a, a lead on Steve Buscemi just apparently, like, walked <laughs> in this bar super horned up, asking where he could get some action. And, like, the cop, like, steps out of his car, puts his hood on, like, bundles it up. It's, like, the thickest, like hood you've ever seen with like the fur on the ends and everything and he's talking to this guy who has his hood up and they're zipped scene. up all the way and they're, they're talking back and forth, exchanging this information. And the way the scene ends is the 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 guy who provided the tip looks up at the sky and goes, oh, it looks like it's about to turn cold, eh? <laughs> 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 like, what <laughs> would you call grow, this? Cold, uh, gonna turn cold
0: tomorrow. Yeah, got a front coming in. Got a cold front yeah, coming yeah. in.
2: Corey, I, that white
1: stuff, that's snow. I don't know <laughs> If you've ever heard of it. Oh, I thought they were just like living in cocaine land. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Us
4: Midwesterners are built different.
2: Corey, have you ever experienced like a a snow, like a snowy season? Like I'm sure you've seen snow. I used to snowboard, but I would
1: like intentionally make trips to places where it snows to do that. Did Um, you move
0: to Oregon when you were like 18 and go to some funny named place?
1: No, I lived in Seattle and it snows one day a year in Seattle. I didn't get that. Christmas every year. I thought you and your friend went to some funny name place. Oh, we made a road trip, and we stopped in weed for a little while. Weed? okay. <laughs> yeah, the McDonald's girl that got away, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> I have not been exposed to this kind of shit, and watching this movie, I'm just thinking how agonizing it must be to live in it's an environment bad. where it snows. It seems very tough.
0: Uh, Corey, two years ago, uh, the wind chill got to negative forty six. You guys get that too?
3: Negative fifty two.
0: You got that? Yeah. The the only one I ever saw was forty six, but yeah. I mean, they literally said if you go outside and exposed for like two or three minutes, you you might get frostbite. Like, uh, yeah, I took work off, and I we never went outside. It was freaking
1: unbelievable. See, that's fucked up, man. That would interfere with my plans.
0: But it's also heat index has gotten the last the one I saw was one hundred eleven. So people think that the midwest is like perfect weather we get the worst like it's pretty bad
1: you get real seasons yeah oh yeah you get three seasons oh, yeah. in
0: one day
3: oh yeah and like the midwestern bible for snow is snow is great for like 2 weeks cuz it looks yeah. pretty and you know it's it's you know thanksgiving's Sucks usually driving. coming christmas times around the corner and in this movie they show i don't know if it was intentional if it got warm but they show so much snow slush that brown yeah. awfulness that's so hard to drive on that just gets fluttered everywhere it's a sticks nightmare everywhere. it sticks it's everywhere it's wet a nightmare to your pants. when it melts it takes 3 months to melt even if it's 80 degrees out um i was so happy they showed that cuz i hate that yeah, stuff so much you
0: go to like a uh, you go to like a Meyer or like a walmart and it's 60 degrees there. but there are icebergs of snow that's been <laughs> plowed. Uh, no, there's no joke. It's like 14 feet high and it'll stay there for months. It's crazy. We, let's go weeks. Let's say weeks. but It feels
3: like an eternity. Let's put it that way. Oof. Sorry. That's a, I love talking
0: yep, about weather. Just
2: Midwest things. Just yep. Midwest that things. The scene where Jean is running in the snow and Carl's laughing at her, her feet would be uh, so fucked if oh, yeah, oh, she was my. doing that actually in Minnesota in the winter, which that's Another, like, really great short moment of characterization, because Carl is just, like, you know, sitting there maniacally laughing at her pain, whereas Peter Stormier is just slack-jawed, again, smoking a cigarette, (laughs) expressing absolutely no emotion at her pain. And it's kind of – it's similar, too, because there's one right after that where they're trying to watch TV – I don't know if you guys remember that. And Steve Buscemi is yelling things like plug me into the ozone baby or (laughs) stuff like that. While like Peter Storm is just sitting there like mouth agape again. Like this movie, when you look at the length of the scenes, a lot of them are very short, three minute, four minute, two minute scenes, get in, get out, get in later than you need to be, get out sooner than you need to be type scenes, explain just enough about the characters and keep moving. And that's kind of, what we get into in this next section of the movie it's it's really the the investigation i mean i don't know if you guys have anything to say about the two women um who are interviewed by marge at the bar um went to white bear lake Bears. one uh, of the those persons two. from Bears.
0: reba if you've ever watched reba which i'm guessing nobody here has i've watched reba you hold your goddamn tongue Brett. <laughs> you know did you recognize the woman
4: no the did b- not
0: the blonde one on the right or the other one yeah which blonde one? on the right she was the woman that the husband Bra- brock left
2: oh reba yeah, for.
4: yeah yeah yep
2: wait, wait in the show reba reba's husband left a woman for her her ex-husband no,
0: left yeah their ex he cheated on reba Wh- with this woman yeah. what?
4: oh okay
1: was reba a drama no, it was a no, comedy. a comedy, but man, that's funny. That, I love Van. Van's my yeah, boy. Yeah, Van was hilarious. Pappy, real quick, I have a question for you because I don't know if this is something we're going to get to naturally. Please, there's a guy in this movie called Mike, and I don't understand why Mike is in this movie. Same,
2: Steve Park. I do. Oh, I have a big thing about Mike. Let's okay. Let me let me just set up Mike, and we'll get we'll get right there. So like like I, like, there's all of these really short scenes in the investigation in a row, right? You have her interviewing the two women at the bar, you have them at a buffet and I, and I time these scenes because the, the, the Mike shit is so jarring and it, it honestly might be the, the scene in any movie that I think about the most. Like I think about Mike Yang Yang Yangagita, Mike Yang Aguida, like, like so much because there's, like I said, there's this buffet scene one minute long. We don't want you mucking this up, Jerry. Uh, the dad says he's got to do the, do the drop. Two minutes long. The Radisson is reasonable. Marge checking into the hotel. Two minutes long. Steve Buscemi stealing the license plate. And that's a long scene for this little stretch. That's only like two minutes and 20 seconds long. Um, Marge interviews Cheb Proudfoot. One minute. Marge interacts with Jerry for the first time. One minute. So you have a one minute scene, a two minute scene, a two minute scene, a two minute 20 scene, a one minute scene, a one minute scene. Then the okay. movie fucking slams on the fucking brakes. and has a four and a half minute scene. Not relevant to the investigation at all. Totally breaking that momentum. Mike Yangagita. Corey, this is your first time. What were your impressions of, of Mike? Uh, well, obviously he seemed like a, a
1: guy that's been dealing with some trauma. That's the way they sell it to us. You know, he's <laughs> He's had a hard time, and he's, you know, um, maybe understandably looking for the comfort of uh, another woman, although... You were
2: such a super lady.
1: <laughs> yeah. Obviously, she's married and pregnant, so that is a, a no-no, but, I mean, a little bit weird, and then I find out how weird it actually is a couple scenes later, when I find out that he's a stalker yeah. and stuff, and it's it's interesting and kind of funny, but, like, I don't
2: know what it has to do with the story. It does. So, his. I just want to say real quick when she says that she has leukemia, whoever's playing that guy, he's fucking brilliant in that role. Like, say what you will about the character, whether or not it fits with the movie, whether or not they just literally couldn't cut this because it otherwise would have been less than a 90 minute movie. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but you can see the character, Mike kind of searching for and making up the lie very subtly, only when you go back and watch for it. It's it's so great. But, Steve, you, you said you had a theory on why why is in this movie.
3: So I used to be in the camp of Corey Hart. Corey used to text Pappy all the time about ranting about Mike. Was it Yanagita? This is Mike Yanagita! It just felt like the biggest momentum breaker in a movie that I have ever seen. It was jarring, like you said. And you start to watch it, and you start to watch it. And it's almost like... It's kind of there to help propel Margie in her investigation. Because she took Mike at face value, like really hardcore, like, oh, this has happened. Then you get the reversal of, no, this dude's a nut, like stalker big time. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he's hiding bodies in a basement type guy. Yeah. You know, it's kind of helping her propel like, well, you know, this Lunderguard fellow is kind of the same way with me you know, what if he's lying about something too? So I think that's kind of the purpose of getting Mikey and Agita in there
2: to movie club. What else is he in
3: a serious man? He's the, (laughs) the dad.
2: Yeah.
0: The the kid who goes, I, sir, my, sir,
2: (laughs) my, sir. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Me, sir, my, sir.
2: Yeah. Mikey pro or anti the Mike scene. It's your first time seeing this.
4: Uh, I agree that it is like a grinding halt to the movie. Um, I don't know if I can support Stevie's hypothesis hypothesis that it kind of, like, activates her detective sense or something, but, uh, yeah, I thought it, uh, it just didn't fit for me. Um, I was also, like, confused as to why she agreed to go out on, uh, like, what was she expecting here? Like, is she looking to hook up with Mikey and Agita? Like, why? Uh, I think I she's th- just
0: nice. Yeah, I think so. You know so. what? Did she, hide it? Did
4: she hide it from her husband, though? I don't
0: know. Yeah, he didn't care. He's ice fishing. He's ice fishing, man. Getting no. that loot fish. I don't know about the... I don't know about the Stevie said about the activating her detective thing, but I could definitely see she takes the meeting because she's nice, but it shows that she's not a pushover. She's not going to let him... Uh, I mean, that was just brutal, him going... I mean, that's super awkward, like, going over to her side, but she stops it right away, so I... And that kind of leads to she doesn't get pushed around the rest of the movie, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't also, know.
4: you're, like, never scared for her, I guess, because you see that she's, like, a, a super confident cop in, like, yeah. that first scene, so...
0: She can take care of herself. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. though she
4: is pregnant, but obviously does not matter for her.
2: It's such a bold move to make a... A sexual advance uh, five yeah. minutes into a lunch uh, meeting or a meeting up with someone for lunch. At least wait till the end. <laughs> uh, and when you see that she's pregnant and married to... And married. Son of Gunderson. Son Shit, of a Gunderson. Mike's a player, man. <laughs> you know, I honestly go back and forth on the mic scene. I think that the intention is 100% what Stevie is saying that it was made to be some sort of like mini revelation with her. At the same time, it's also pretty improbable that she would become police chief and, you know, True. not know that criminals are liars and that she needs to, you know, do her due diligence on anything that she's saying as part of an investigation. I think why it persists is it's so indicative of the Cohen's style Right. Like it's a, it's a, such a Cohen scene in so many ways. It's just like the, the strangeness of it and the way that it sort of breaks up the movie and just like kind of the intrigue of the characters. I think that's why people remember it. And I think it did a lot to like lend their tone to the movie. But I, you know, I don't know if it's a better movie or not if you cut it, to be honest. And I, and I, this is the scene I think about probably the most of any movie of ever. And I don't know how how i feel about it but <laughs> we get another sex scene later a, a pretty awkward minnesota sex scene with uh <laughs> uh oh yeah eh as uh, awkward steve minnesota and sex. <laughs> and uh shep proudfoot comes in uh kicks uh, steve Buscemi's ass that's what leads to kind of the really last third of the movie is this movie is truly in thirds there's a third before marge shows up The middle third is the investigation. And then it's literally called out by Steve Buscemi. He says, We have 30 minutes, Jerry, to wrap this thing up when there's exactly 30 minutes left in the film, basically. Um, I like that. You do like that, the real time stuff? It's it's pretty cool. I I like when he's like, I'm going to shoot your fucking children. I'm going to shoot them in the back of their little fucking (laughs) heads. I'm going to shoot your fucking wife. And Jerry goes, Okay, real good then.
1: Dude, seeing Shep Proudfoot beat the shit out of Steve Buscemi is the funniest thing in this movie. I hate it so much. For me, like, all the comedy comes from Steve Buscemi, just like being an asshole and being like very Mr. Pink ish. Like, he's really funny in this movie, especially when he's like, total silence. (laughs) He just like keeps saying that, like, he's not going to talk to the guy anymore. So he literally says the words total silence. Um, but seeing him get his uh, ass kicked, like, and whipped by a belt, and hearing him whine is funny, dude.
5: Fucking little weasel! Fuck you, man! You fucking motherfucking silver bitch and fucking cock! Jesus Christ! Fucking shitbag motherfucker!
2: You don't like that scene, Stevie? I don't
3: mind this. I, re- I really have an issue with noticeable ADR. It just sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, a character like Shep wouldn't be shouting. I think he's much more menacing being silent and beating the shit out of Steve, Boo, Steve Buscami while Steve Buscami is doing all the talking. Like, <laughs> the, like the problems he has with everyone in his life are the people that do like the, le- like, the least amount of talking. I think that would have been a really fun note in that scene. It just, the noticeable ADR just stood out like a sore thumb to me.
2: We'll forgive him for breaking the stereotype. <laughs> I like when uh, Mr. Proudfoot goes for his belt, and Steve Booskimi's like, "Don't hit me with that!" And like he's like, "I wasn't going to." It goes for the choke move right away with it. It's just like wasn't even planning on that, bro. Don't worry about it. Um, the money drop. I don't know if there's anything significant about the money drop. It feels like. The top of a parking garage where there's going to be so many cameras going in, going out, all around that place would be one of the worst places to do.
0: 87, though.
2: Something Maybe, maybe. That's true. I, I guess I don't know. Did you, uh anything stand out from from that exchange for you, you, Britt? Mm.
0: I don't know. I just, the uh, weight or whatever is all tough in the car, and he's not as tough out there. Like, I'm just surprised he didn't have His gun out quicker or something, and I don't know. Steve, nothing really, it's just kind of quick. And I didn't want Way was a dick, but I didn't really want him to die,
3: I guess. So, I love the slow motion OGs.
1: Oh, geez, oh, geez. <laughs> I love that so <laughs> That's much. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Is that when he gets shot?
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: What about when Jerry just pulls up, sees his dead father-in-law, and his only <laughs> reaction is just to pop the trunk? Like a great, great shot. Well, so why he did awesome he do that? Cut.
3: Why, why lift Wade? So,
2: so this that is the almost thing.
3: absolves him of everything.
2: Like, there's a movie. I think the the ur example of this is a movie called Blue Ruin. Stevie, you've seen that movie, Love right? Love Blue Ruin, but I've it's like, it. and you've seen it too, Kyle. So you you guys know it's like there's kind of this genre of, like, the dumb criminal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Everything in this is a comedy of errors, especially for Jerry, right? Like, if he doesn't flee the interview, he's fleeing the interview! <laughs> he wouldn't have gotten caught. You know what I mean? Likely, I would say. If he does a fake count of the cars, like, he's just, like, the fundamental thing is, like, he and Steve Buscemi are, like, bad at being criminals. <laughs> it's kind of like the same... Is
0: that kind of a common thing like Big Lebowski, they screw up constantly. Oh, brother, we're out there. They screw up constantly. Burn after readings that way, big time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing, I, it's not like that. I guess is a serious man, but that's a different story altogether. So,
2: it takes place in Minnesota, though. So we have that going. Yeah. But no,
1: I totally agree. Like this, everything that unfolds is like happens wrong, right from the very beginning, from them meeting at the wrong time. Like <laughs> it all is downhill from there, and. Yeah, they do things wrong, but also like it kind of seems like Marge is a pretty fucking good detective too, right? Mm-hmm. So there's both angles. You got a really good detective and some
2: pretty shitty criminals. <laughs> I like uh, just speaking out she's a good detective. I like how she's like, I don't uh, 100% agree with your police work there, yeah. eh? <laughs> I think he was saying dealer plates. <laughs> um, Yeah, so kind of coming towards the end of the movie here uh steve buskemi sounds like tim roth in reservoir dogs he gets shot in his <laughs> face um i don't i don't know i it, it kind of blends together for me oh yeah the, the bearing of the money we talked about that as well um i, I remember being a kid thinking that there was really a million dollars out there somewhere in minnesota that i should go find like that that guy who did that movie but um stevie the wood chipper scene this is like what I knew about Fargo going into it, sort of this climax of the movie. Marge, as like we said, is tipped off by uh, Steve Buscemi running his mouth in a bar, being all horny. That's what basically leads to leads to her investigating Moose Lake in Minnesota, where she where they're found. What the, the last sort of climax here? Anything stand out for you here at Moose Lake?
3: Uh, even before this, my favorite sequence in the whole movie is Peter Stormare running out the door with an axe. And so good. It's so good. I mean, just the idea to have them scream and then quick cut it with that type of violence was, I mean, it's my favorite part of the entire movie. But I feel like this is, you want to talk about like iconic parts of Fargo. I feel like the wood chipper, you know, if you brought up Fargo to anybody the street, you know, anybody in the street would seem be like, oh yeah, the, the wood chipper. Wood chipper, for sure. Um, it's the most iconic part. And I definitely appreciated the character who's seven months pregnant in the snow, is probably exhausted, slow-walking it down to Peter Stormare's character. And just the wherewithal of the Coens when they're writing this movie, to have Margie trying to shout over a wood chipper is just brilliant <laughs> to me. Mm-hmm. Points it's, kind at of this, her an, it's kind of an anticipation just drawn out even more from the fact that the wood chipper's still running. Margie's pointing a gun, can't get her point across. And then when Peter Stormare finally looks at her, she points to her hat. I love that. I I got something here that I didn't think about
0: and I thought about about 30 minutes ago. And you guys can tell me whether I'm crazy, I'm wrong. Okay, Um, Peter Stormare, we talked about how he's emotionless. He doesn't have any emotion throughout the entire movie. And I'm wondering if A... I just I'm just seeing it wrong, or B, if it was a purposeful thing that the Cohens did, maybe just to be funny. That he literally he's watching that terrible Minnesota soap <laughs> yes, opera, Brett. and he's it's the only emotion he shows the entire movie is when she tells the guy he's pregnant.
2: One thousand percent
0: that she's pregnant, and I'm just like, and then yeah, I never didn't notice it the first time. Obviously, you've seen a bunch, but and it's so it's so small. It's just like you could see it on his face. His face falls about, I don't know, an eighth of an inch. Like, you could just barely see it. But I just, do you think that was like a joke that... Yes. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. It's found on that.
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, so I'm looking at the the dark triad for psychopathy. Impulsive, emotionally Apathy. cold, remorseless, uh, inappropriate, or lack of emotional expression. He's literally doesn't do anything, except for this one blurry <laughs> shot on the TV. He's surrounded by his grain belt beers. And that's like, literally, like, and it's just a very subtle movement, but you're right, it's the only time we see him conveying any emotion. Even when he's arrested, he sort of has the same face that he has yeah. when he's like chasing someone down in a car. And he's you know just I mean? killed someone. Yes. Absolutely. Which... I know, we t- I know, Steve, you talked about that. I love, like, the bells, though, in that scene. We'll-, we'll play the clip, but if you listen to the sound design, it's just absolutely fucking fantastic.
0: And if you see your friend and shut, prideful, tell him I'm going to nail his fucking
5: ass. Hey, I'll call you. Later. Oh! Ah! <laughs>
3: It's unreal. And I like how you guys talked about, you know, just a comedy of errors and these stupid criminals. I understand being in the moment of just killing somebody with an axe who you spent like two weeks with, but you have a big old lake there with a lot of ice and snow.
0: To the land of the ice and snow.
3: The wood chipper is
1: not the best way to go. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's not very discreet, is it?
1: I mean, that was probably just for fun, right? Yeah. yeah.
4: It's- I was, Yeah, I was trying to wrap my head around his reasoning and all i could think of was like oh he's just psychotic because there's no reason that would be your first option
3: it almost makes me think that he's still mad about not going to the pancake house (laughs) like even in death steve buscemi still has to suffer
2: well stevie without that it's it's basically ice road the movie starring liam neeson on netflix if you don't have the Roger Deakins blood on the snow which you said love you love some blood on the snow love
3: blood on the snow wouldn't change it
2: um, But I mean that's pretty much the the end of the movie there's like a little a little coda here right Marge is, Marge is there makes the arrest um, gives them the lecture you know there's more to life than a bit of money and all um, Mikey I, I think one of the best bits of acting in the whole movie is William H Macy just being a little bitch here at the at the end
4: uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure this happened about six months ago with William H. Macy, this exact same situation. <laughs> <laughs> nice. but um, It's just getting dragged. It looks like an episode of Cops. It's pretty funny.
2: <laughs> Speaking of, like, you know, not actually conveying their real emotions, you know, it's, it's the realest his character has been for us, the audience, right? It's just blood-curdling screams he's finally not obfuscating the way that he's feeling anymore he's just really pissed that he got that he got caught he's he's a piece of shit guys i don't know if you guys knew that but yeah (laughs) i think it's a nice
1: touch that they knock on the door and he's like all right i'll be right out and he's like crawling out the window (laughs) that's funny man
2: well Corey, i want to ask you i like asking you this question on movies that you haven't seen before i don't get the opportunity very often but we get the scene of marge and norm in bed you know marge doesn't even share anything about her day really right you'd expect you know that seemed to be her decompressing about seeing someone in a wood chipper or making an arrest or, or talking about the case that she was working on but norm says they made the announcement and marge doesn't even need to ask what announcement She's instantly excited. She's instantly engaged. She cares about like what he has to say. And, and, and we talked about the stamp thing a little bit. She's, she's super proud of him. She's gassing him up, uh, loves him very much. And she says, you know, we're doing pretty good. And, and it's, that moment's almost like a reflection of everything that she's seen between Mike, Mike Yankanita and the wood chipper and Peter Stormier's like, just total psychoticness. Um, how do you feel? When the credits roll on Fargo, Corey, after after kind of a roller coaster, ultra violence, comedy, bit of a mixed bag there.
1: I mean, I really enjoyed the movie, but with that scene in particular, I think it's a good misdirect because you're right. Like we're, we, the audience, expect them to be talking about the events of the movie, and that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about Norm's basic ass, you know, like his fucking. <laughs> Stamp paintings and they just got a (laughs) wholesome and loving relationship. And it's, it's cool. You said it ends with a line. We're doing pretty good.
2: I think it's two more months actually is the last line where we're talking about the baby. Um,
1: Okay. Well, that just makes me think of, well, the line we're doing pretty good. It makes me think of American movie. Oh Um, yeah. In the very beginning when he's like going through all his bills and talking about like how fucked up he is financially. (gasps) And then he gets like some fucking shitty credit card in the mail and he goes, life is pretty cool sometimes, man. (laughs) (laughs) Also
0: some, I got to think a lot of just so, uh, just from what I see in TV movies, I mean, I'm just playing based on that, but I think a lot of cops and wives or husbands probably have a no shop talk rule. That makes sense. So, you know, I'm not saying what you're saying isn't right, but maybe that's just kind of what it is. She doesn't want to bring that home with him. But I guess if he was a cop, then maybe he'd want to hear about it. So I'm just saying.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like, what's his name, Norm? Yep. I feel like he's seen some shit and it's absolutely zero cop talk now for him. He's Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. like emotionally... I don't know. He seems like a weird guy. He seems nice enough as a husband, but he does seem like he doesn't want to talk about anything she's involved with at work.
2: But it's just like this, such a sweet. Oh yeah. Know, to end the movie on. Right. And I think as we, we'll get it, we'll, we'll get into final thoughts here in a second, but I think what it's easy to take for granted with 2021 eyes watching this movie is just the unique blending of tones. That this movie really brought together, right? It, it's it's not similar to Pulp Fiction in so many ways, but the the mix of comedy and ultra violence um, is pretty unique up into that point in time, right? And I, and I think that this little note of wholesomeness, this little cherry on top of it, like you know, like I said the violence, the comedy, but it ends on a sincere, sweet note and showing an example of of what the cohen's must think is a good healthy relationship i really really like that and i think that's what really rounds out the movie for me yeah you mean like as opposed
1: to a tarantino movie right
2: exactly yes where i don't even know how that it would end in some cynical way or some ultra violent way or maybe even like a joke or something um or focus on like i feel like a tarantino movie would almost end like with a rev- resolution of the conflict in a lot of cases i
1: think with a tarantino movie they a lot of the times they end and we're supposed to be like that was so cool yes right? mm-hmm. this ends in a different way it's like you said it ends in like like that was really nice like that touch at the end and despite mm-hmm. everything that unfolded like there is uh i don't know it's
2: like almost a form of hope mm-hmm. and this the a new hope <laughs> a form of a new hope exactly and the score that swells there too it's a fantastic score i mean it, binary sunset please no binary sunset does not play <laughs> in this movie but now that we've gotten into star wars uh references that's a sign that's time to get out of this podcast any other final thoughts um from you guys on fargo uh
1: when buscemi gets shot or he's like grazed but he is bleeding a lot uh and he's kind of like you know, carrying on with this wound, and it's really fucked up, and he's clearly I got in a lot of pain. <laughs> I love that, by the way. And then he goes back to like the cabin, and he sees Uli. <laughs> he goes, "You should see the other guy." Like that is a classic line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love how he's
4: just putting like Arby's napkins on it, and it's just sticking in his giant gaping wound in his face. It's disgusting. Why did he just
0: bail? Why did he just bail?
1: Yeah, he had all the money. I don't know what. And the car. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want that guy after me, but at the same time, just pay him for half of the car. Like, what a fucking dipshit.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the Gunderson. I mean, it's a Larry thing. He's greedy.
2: Well, he's such an extra dipshit, too, because he has a truck. He's like, you can take my truck, which we haven't seen at all, which is probably totally clean, not on the police radar, but he chooses to take the the sea, C- was it the Sierra, the Siena, or whatever he says, mm-hmm. the- which is like been all over the police, like news or whatever. It's, like, <laughs> ta- and I'm sure it's covered in blood. It's so, like he doesn't even take the right car in that situation. That's how dumb, dumb he and is. And he's never going to find his money. No. <laughs> 0%. chance. One wind gust and that little ice wave yeah. is
1: buried forever. There are no natural landmarks. What the fuck is this dude thinking?
0: <laughs> it got to be mile markers, and
1: right? He's out in the middle of nowhere, bro. They showed us that there was no natural landmarks, very explicitly. Yeah, okay. He
3: looked
4: like he was on the Oregon Trail. There was nothing out
2: there.
3: I do love that scene when he's burying the case and he's struggling to walk back to the car. I could just feel uh-huh. how cold it was outside watching same. that. I was thinking,
2: say same there, I'm like, that looks awful. Mm. Was this, I should know this, was this shot in Minnesota? IMDb says Fargo. see see how much of a difference that makes like just like even like, like like i've talked about this so many times but even just having like a couple different shots establishing shots of the twin cities like how much lifting does seeing fucking paul bunyan statue do you know what i mean how much of the tone does that set just showing actual things in that area as opposed to just like this movie could be anywhere at any time type thing it uses its backdrop
4: hey let's save a few bucks let's film it in toronto what are you talking about pap every town usa toronto canada (laughs) every town
2: usa
0: (laughs) toronto is chicago (laughs) yeah take this for what it's worth uh i'm not trying to contradict mikey uh it says that wikipedia by the way said mainly filmed in the winter of 95 in minneapolis st paul area and around pembina county north dakota uh, there was unusually low snowfall in central and southern Minnesota. So the ones where they needed a ton of snow, they went to northern Minnesota and northeastern North Dakota, though not in or near the actual towns of Fargo and Brainerd.
2: But it pays IMDb dividends wide. to shoot on location, though. Like you love that. The that's like the, the one thing
0: you loved about that Los Calientes, a terrible movie, is you loved they used... The Minnesota landscape and cities, and yeah, it is, it's really nice. It is
4: free production value. It's just like Pap said; it just establishes, and it costs nothing to film that Paul Bunyan thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's go ahead and get our yes or nos. Brett, you had some, or Brett, you I think you had a final thought you wanted to sprinkle in there. So why don't you go ahead and go first? We'll go east to east, or the reverse, or whatever we just did.
0: Okay. Um. Okay, so this is the second time I've watched this, and I'm sure Pap will remember. I only watched this for the first time two years ago, and I was unbelievably disappointed the first time I watched it um I thought it was okay, but it's like I heard for 20 years how good it was, and I just thought it was just okay. I was looking forward to watching it the second time and after about seven minutes, I was thinking, man, I do not want to watch this movie.
2: whoa now,
0: now hold on. After about 20, 30 minutes, I started being Uncle K, and I realized the problem. I hate every scene that William H. Macy's in. Every single one. (laughs) Every single scene. Um, And I love pretty much all the other ones. So, I I just, it's not like I don't like William H. Macy. I just, I hate that storyline. I hate him so much in this movie. And I guess you could say, well, that's the point. Well, If it's not, again, don't worry. Okay, I'm giving this movie a yes. It's a good movie. Um, There's enough there. I love, I freaking love Francis McDormand in this movie. Steve Buscemi's great. Uh, The other guy, Peter Stormare, is good. But I just, I hate, I hate the storyline of that. He's. It's so awkward. I thought, well, I'll like it more the second time because I won't feel as clammy and sweaty trying to hope that people didn't die. And I still was just like, This movie's so scummy at some times, so I'm going to give it a yes. Uh, uh, Less than a solid yes, but a yes. But, God, I did. So
2: just to be be clear, you hate the character of Jerry, or you'd hate William H. Macy's performance?
0: The character of Jerry. I I mean, William H. Macy, I guess, is doing what he's supposed to do. But again, if it's off-putting to me, then it's not working for me. But that's obviously not the case for other people. That's probably blasphemy to some people. Candy, I apologize for that.
2: Well, Candy, I'll, I'll redeem you a little bit. You you picked one of my favorite movies of all time. I hadn't heard a lot of hype around the 25 year anniversary. I don't know if there's like any kind of like Criterion release coinciding with that, or if there's going to be some theatrical run. I would love to see fargo on the big screen the the deacon cinematography as big as possible and and a you know great surround sound too at that score um i mean yeah it's i can't there are some things i'm just gonna have to acknowledge that i can't review objectively fargo is one of them because it's so seminal to me loving movies i mean it's literally like i was pretty little you know eight nine seven years old and my mom being like like you know Fargo is a, a great movie and then showing me the movie I'm like, okay, this is what a great movie is. You know what I mean? It's almost became the definition of what I thought was like a great movie. Obviously love, love the Coen's. They, I, I love young Coen's this and raising Arizona. they are two stories about ca- couples, not about couples, but couples who are in the salad days of their marriage before they have kids. Um, that's definitely, you know, a, a big part of this movie Francis McDormand's pregnancy a big part of raising Arizona I, I just love their early work so 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 much um, you know like I said everything below the line is fantastic I think William H Macy's ability to get under Brett's skin speaks volumes to his performance right that's exactly probably what he wanted and I know that you know what Brett like why subject yourself to that if it's gonna make you feel that way. But I, I absolutely just, just love him in this movie. Definite Hard, yes, one of my favorite movies of all time. Thank you, Candy. Uh I don't remember who's next, Mikey.
4: Yeah, I'll go next. Uh Mikey from uh, Goshen, Indiana. Um yeah, like I said before, this is this was my first time watching this and Um I'm not gonna say it's my favorite Coen Bros movie because it's not, uh, I think I even liked and Davis more than this one, which uh, that was one of the movies, one of their movies that I thought I was going to like the least, but um, I don't know. I just, I don't know if it's just like not living up to the hype. I mean, yeah. I've heard so much about this movie and I guess I've known about the, the uh, wood chipper scene and stuff like that. So maybe some of that magic was lost on me, but. I just didn't find it as funny as as other Coen Brothers movies, or kept me like as engaged as other stuff that they've made. But it's still a good movie. It's still really good and funny. And I love watching Steve Buscemi. Um, I think he's great, and Francis McDormand is awesome too. But just wasn't my favorite Coen Bros movie that I've seen. But I've knocked another Coen Bros movie off of uh, my long list of stuff that I haven't seen from theirs, uh, which is good thanks to this podcast. So hopefully someone chooses Raising Arizona next because I haven't seen that. So I'd love to watch that sometime.
2: Got to get some Nick Cage with the Coens. I'll say this too about the hype. Watching it this time, I... I'm not surprised at all that the English patient beat this movie for best picture, like putting those two movies next to each other. Fargo had a 0.00% chance of beating a movie like the English patient that almost, almost, Makes me want to watch The English Patient again to try and give it another chance because I fucking hated that movie the first time. I that like movie.
4: Look at the big guy with eight free hours to watch The English Patient. Wow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Life is uh, very busy right now for me, clearly. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, sorry, Stevie, I think you're next.
3: Um, I will give this movie the hardest of yeses. I think this movie is an absolute masterpiece. Um. One, I love that it's based in the Midwest. I absolutely love the Midwest. Mm. Also, I talk about Blood on Snow a lot. I think it looks beautiful on camera in violent films, and I'm happy that it accomplished this. And also, the Cohen brothers are just amazing writers and uh, directors. I think, um, you know, sometimes we get lost in certain movies where, you know, it has really witty and snappy dialogue. And I just like how dry the dialogue is in this is in this movie and watching william h macy chew up every scene in this movie is just an absolute treat jerry is an absolute scumbag and a loser and a bastard but the thing is jerry's exist in this world and he plays this jerry perfect and (laughs) the we're not a bank jerry is so priceless i like wade talking just little you know tidbits of you know why not go to her midwest federal and, you know meet up with uh, bill deal just little stuff like that always makes me smile and uh when peter stormare bolts out the cabin with the axe just those quick four seconds are some of my favorite things the cohen brothers have ever done so uh, hardest of yeses this movie is a masterpiece
2: and last but not least, before Kylo gives his yes or no, once again, thank you, Candy. I appreciate all of our patrons, um, and especially appreciate you commissioning this episode. Glad to have you as part of the Spoilers family. But, Corey, you you are powering through an illness tonight to this podcast. Mad respect to you as well for doing that. You sound great, but w- what would you say about Fargo on your first watch?
1: Fargo. So I'm going to give Fargo... <laughs> a yes or a Minnesota yeah it's a good movie <laughs> obviously Yeah, it's no Jesus rolls it's no Suburbicon it's no Hail Caesar Oof. but it Suburbicon? is a very good movie why are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> I don't like those movies uh, okay <laughs> now the things that do it for me in this movie are uh, a lot of them are the performances namely Steve Buscemi as Carl and uh, William H. Macy as the uh, pathetic character that he likes to play. <laughs> and it's just so relatable to see, like, a car salesman in a movie that I just hate. Because I fucking work with him all the time, and I swear to God, I hate him. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, I mean, what can I say that hasn't been said? I'm really glad this was picked by Candy. Fun movie. Um, moving movie thrilling movie and uh it's just great i like it a lot
2: i would say if there are any used carsmen used car salesmen listening i need a new car a new used car so uh if you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast i don't get that true coat I would love you, and I, w- I will pay extra for the true coat as well. I don't know
0: if we're going to have a lot of used car salesmen after Corey's rant, and I called them sociopaths earlier, so. <laughs> well,
2: Here they are, Brett. Mm-hmm. They're probably not getting to the 90-minute mark of the podcast. I'll put it that way. <laughs> have you guys not seen that dateline? What? No. A
3: used car salesman like, was was trying to hire people to murder his wife,
1: and like <laughs> five people, five used car salesmen were like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, man. That's the way it is, right?
2: Just just buy me dinner. Exactly. I'll do it. Well, tonight's trivia is not vehicle-related at all, so you guys should be uh, be doing okay there. And not, not use car related at all. So as I pull it up, let's we'll go in the reverse. Uh, we'll go east to east again. So Corey, uh, Stevie, Mikey, Brett, um... Stevie, you remember that show that used to be on Univision or Telemundo? I forget which one, it was VAS, Vas Oh No VAS. Vas. Yep. (laughs) This is Lago, Oh No Lago. I don't know what the Spanish for not a lake is, but I had, (laughs) I pulled a database of Minnesota lakes. Just a single, simple trivia. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Single elimination. If you miss it, you're out. All you have to do is say if it's the name of an actual lake in Minnesota pretty simple right so like i said we'll start with you Corey. your first name and all i have to say is you can say lake or no lake that's fine you don't have to use spanish or whatever language you'd like like to use we're an international podcast all right i'll go with japanese tonight thank you okay uh marowak m-a-r-o-w-a-k marowak marowak mizumi (laughs) is <laughs> that lake? Yeah, that means lake. <laughs> no, sorry. That is a Pokemon. That is the what Cubone evolves into. Marowak, not a lake in Minnesota. Oh, man. God damn it. I play Pokemon. I should know this. Stevie, you're up next. Yours is Vaporod. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: This one I would have gotten.
3: Okay, first off, Corey, <laughs> do you know what Minnesota is called? Uh, the land of lakes or some shit? The land of 10,000 10, lakes. it's, it's 10, definitely the Pokemon. Uh,
2: tiebreaker in the event that we go through all 20 of these.
1: Pappy, I think you're pronouncing that wrong. I can give the right pronunciation.
2: Please. Well, that. no. Okay, please. Yeah. Vaporeon. Vaporeon, Stevie. Is that a lake or not a lake? That
3: sounds like prawn, Pap. Um, I'm going to say
2: no lago. That's correct. It is a Pokemon. Uh, oh, it's an not Eevee. porn. Okay. If you, if you give it a water, Waterstone. Waterstone. Um, yeah. Mikey, Calhoun. Calhoun. Uh, I'll say that's a lake. Very good. That's a lake that I used to live right next to in Minnesota. Um, give me Lake Bulbasar. <laughs> I live there. <laughs> Brett, yours? Lake Blastoise. <laughs> yours is Eagles Nest Four. Eagles nest for not possessive when I copied it, but I don't know if that was a typo in the database. Um, Eagles nest for or not. Uh. What is that noise? Uh.
0: That's uh, my Swedish translation
2: for lake. It is indeed. uh, Can you do that again, please? Uh. (laughs) Correct, Brett. That (laughs) is a lake. Eagles nest for is a lake. So back up to the top with Stevie. Cloister. What say it again? Cloister. Okay, so Pap,
3: is it just a Pokémon or a lake? No. <laughs> I'm going to say not a lake. It's a Pokémon. Correct. Yes, God absolutely. Damn it.
2: Mikey. <laughs> Lapras. Lapras.
4: That is Sounds a lot like a Pokemon, so I'm gonna say
1: not a lake.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're rolling, Brett. I know all
1: these, and I fucked up my
2: own. Brett Zubat. Um. No, I'm sorry. It is a lake. Oh uh, crap! I <laughs> speak Icelandic. Pokemon. You speak you speak Icelandic? I'm Patty? speaking in Icelandic. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Zubat no. is also a Pokemon, though. Correct. Oh, trick question! Whoa. Found okay. often in caves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> flying in poison. Oh.
0: <laughs> so, am so, I you, out or I don't know you're, what's going you're on? Out.
2: Yeah, you're okay. out. So, it's down to Stevie and Mikey. This is, again, just for tossing at the to Spore. man. A little trip to the winner Circle. A little chance to talk some shit. Stevie. Rat root. God damn you. I'm going to say it's a lake. That is a lake. Let's go. Mikey. <laughs> stinking. Stinking,
3: <laughs>
4: as in the act of stink.
2: Correct. <laughs> spelled it that way.
4: Uh, I'll say that's. Mm, that's that's not a lake.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, Mikey. That is Lake Stinking. Um, I'll just run through these real quick. Stevie, poop. <laughs>
3: uh, I'll say it's a lake.
2: No, it's not a lake. So you've been out on, come on, like, on. poop. poop? Poop. It, it sounds like a very Minnesota thing <laughs> to be like, oh going over to Lake Poop. Some other high <coughs> some high other highlights I had with Raichu, not a lake. Not Eagles a time, Nest yeah. Five, not a lake. Eagles mm-hmm. they stop at Eagles Nest Four. Pickle <laughs> Florida Lake Zoo Lake Thief, and Lake Oxyoke would have rounded out the, the trivia. But Stevie, you are the winner today. Go ahead and
0: uh <laughs> What
2: what did you just say to me, Brett?
0: Stevie is the winner in Icelandic. <laughs> I love that.
2: Stevie, please give your toss to spoiler man and 60 seconds or whatever. Talk about whatever you want in Icelandic, but, but the floor is yours.
3: Okay. I just want to say thank you to candy for picking this movie. This is like, honestly, one of the funnest podcasts I think we've ever done. Sorry, Josh. I know you couldn't be here, but this was an absolute blast. This for me is up there with the collector of how much fun I had on this pod tonight. So thank you candy for picking this movie. Um, Thank you to all of our loyal listeners. You guys are amazing. Um, like always, if you want to become a patron, that would be amazing. If not, continue to listen to us for free on iTunes. A listen is always a great listen. And uh, that is it. Thank you for listening. Take it away. Spoilers, man.
1: How Candy.
3: Thank you, Candy. Special
5: thank you to our patrons, Matt Troll.
0: We're not a bank, Jerry.
5: Brother Brian. I need unguet. Druid King. Yeah, that's a good one. Nick. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The Meg.
0: Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez.
5: David.
3: Yeah, right now. You're darn tootin'.
5: Nurse Stacy.
3: Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, yeah, betcha, yeah.
5: Yeah. If you'd like to request an episode, hear your name read by Spoiler Man, or even just help us make podcasts, please check us out on patreon.com slash spoilerspodcast. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme song. Please support this podcast by leaving us an iTunes review. To do this, 1. Search for movie spoilers. 2. Click on our Orange Spoilers Bowl logo and scroll all the way to the bottom. 3. Leave us some stars and some words. Now you can check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Mm. I still
1: think we need the spoiler cereal bowl. Yes. Like,
3: like put, like, the spoiler's logo at the bottom of a bowl? Yeah. That'd be cool.
1: What's Brittany doing?
0: She's <laughs> on so her phone right next to me. Oh, <laughs> our dog's in the middle. What are you going to watch 2001, Brett? I don't know. She just doesn't really want to watch it, so it's kind of hard to...
2: Well, watch what? Have you ever watched it's... 2001 A Space Odyssey on Weed? Oh,
3: Brett, you never seen 2001? No. Nope. On Weed. It's okay.
0: It's on our scratch-off, but we haven't watched one of those in, like, two years. So.
3: I'm just not a big
2: Kubrick guy. Oh, I am. Becoming, <sighs> I have Did like you finish he's Barry Lyndon? Up... Yeah. You like it? Yeah. Isn't that one part, like, exactly like, uh... Yeah, Fuck, definitely. Yeah. Call it the okay, win. Okay, okay, yeah. Yep.
0: As soon as she said, don't let him ride the horse, I was like, well, he's dead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he was a little turd. So, do you think that's, like, intentional? Like is that? Cause, like <coughs> Kubrick wrote that movie. Did he write that with "Gone with the Wind" in mind, or is that just like that kind of shit just happened to people? Well, it's, back based off, it's based off a book. So that's based off a book. I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, it's he, it was written for the screen by Stanley Kubrick. So that how many cool.
2: adaptations did he do? Because 2001's was like a collab thing. Shining right? was an adaptation. Shining was an adaptation. Yeah.
0: Doctor Strangelove might have been original, but
2: was Spartacus based on something?
3: Spartacus.
0: Spartacus.
2: <laughs> I mean
3: okay. Cre- yeah I mean <laughs> okay Pap are we going to do Eyes Wide Shut it. for Christmas this year? I love I love Eyes Wide Shut I've, n-
1: <sighs> I've never seen it. it I love that movie too I, fucking
3: love that movie. I need to rewatch it I haven't seen that movie since I was about 9 years old
1: yeah <laughs> last time I was watching that movie I was
0: watching for other reasons so yeah you disappointed. I, I, no I, there's some good stuff in there I fast forwarded through a lot of it
1: <laughs> stevie always watching these like age inappropriate movies I was, dude my grandpa
3: and my dad had no chill when it came to we're watching this movie you can take it or leave it sam i was thinking
0: about we just would pick a movie for the weekend and it pretty much anything went.
3: anything goes it,
0: i remember no watching chill. glimmer man when i was like nine that was freaking scary it's like i what, told what bl- was that right the glimmer man glimmer man it, Steven Seagal and Keenan Ivory Way is, I mean, it's the,
3: that one of the best What? <laughs> that is a, that's a combo I never thought I'd hear in my life. Yeah.
2: Furiously Googling Glimmer Man. <laughs> what is said Glimmer Man?
1: Look at this. So you guys know I'm sick, right? I'm a little S- bit out of it. Sound sick.
3: Sound uh, a little stuffy. I, uh,
1: earlier today I was in and out of Fever Dreams and Whoa. I've kind of like normalized tonight, so I'm mostly okay, but... Mostly. Um, I won't be able to answer any Stevie questions. Let me put it that way. <laughs> oh. Stevie can barely answer Stevie questions. It's it's a
3: tough job. <laughs> I've been doing this for almost 400 episodes. It's a tough ask. Are we
2: almost at 400? I think we're almost there. <laughs> we probably have 400 in the can right now. Yeah, as I say, it's been a while. It's been got a got while. You. I'm back. Fit, no more family in town. He's Move back
5: in Seattle.
2: Half day tomorrow
0: just got to edit pretty we're clear. trying to have puppies again though so if anybody's interested but oh if she if she has puppies they're going to be mini this time cool i oh, want uh, right oh yeah it's that was a really weird process watching them do what they did to that dog <sighs> yeah <laughs> involved a lot of red rocket uh, dog sperm no. and oh yeah
3: sounds horrifying
0: Oh, little Maximus was—he uh... was—is uh... that what you call his wiener? No, that's his little name. Max. Oh, no, mine's just called Maximus.
3: But so, his... like, when dogs breed, do, like, do you play music in the background, or does it just I like
0: see nothing wrong? There uh, you no. go. Now, uh, this—I mean, who let the this dogs was end? this was artificial insemination? But mm. the first time, I think they just kind of went at it. No, we don't play anything. They. They do like Barry White, but they don't, we don't play any good That was Spoilers.